welcome to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. I'm Diane Hullett, and today I continue my exploration of body disposition. And joining me today is Emily Nelson of Be a Tree. Hi, Emily. Hi there. Thanks for having me, Diane. I'm so excited. So Be a Tree Cremation is an organization in Denver, and Emily is the founder and CEO. And today I've asked her to just particularly focus on aquamation, which is something that her group specializes in. So tell us, how did you get started in this career? Yes, I think, um, you know, part calling and really part just recognizing the need for it. Um, I started working in the death care space several years ago um, at the corporate level. I worked for a large corporation that owns thousands across the country. And that allowed me to see behind the curtain of something that, you know, I've, I've always been really drawn to death from a more like esoteric uh, kind of way, but never really considered the practical side as many of us don't. And so when I saw behind the curtain and realized, um, you know, number one, how kind of disconnected it is from our families and number two realize the environmental impact of the death care industry I really um, started developing just this gut feeling that grew and grew over time that there had to be a better way for us to be more connected to nature and for the experience to just be more intimate and more modern than than what's available today so that led me here (laughs) That's so cool. Were you working in like the, in um, like funeral homes or in cremation specifically, or what was the. All of it. I actually worked at the corporate office and, you know, they uh, did every, every kind of disposition, well, traditional disposition, burial, cremation across the country. So I was responsible for a lot of the marketing efforts and um, was able to travel around and see all kinds of different operations in my time there. Wow. And, and then you just, as you said, once you sort of saw behind the curtain, you were like, wait a minute, I wonder if there are other ways. And so how did that, how did that shift happen for you? Yeah. And, um, you know, a big part of it was a simple conversation that I had with my mom. Um, She adopted me when I was about five years old and um, we're really close. And so working in the industry, we had started talking about this stuff, which we had never talked about before. I think so many families don't. And so that opened up the door for us to just talk about what would she want when the time comes. And, um, you know, I kind of told her about some of the more natural options that I had heard of. And she said, well, you know, I think I really want to be a tree. And I said, okay, well, so do you want to do just a natural burial then, you know, and we can make sure that, you know, we plant flowers and trees near you. And she said, oh, no, no, I want to be cremated. I don't want all the worms to get me. And so that was kind of this aha moment of realizing that, um, you know, we have been pretty quickly shifting as a society towards preferring cremation because of the simplicity and the cost and the fact that we're more um, nomadic than we used to be and we we need the remains to be more transportable and um, and yet 
the cremation options available are just not environmentally friendly and not um, connected to nature in a way that is meaningful. And so that was that moment where I realized that we needed something that offered an environmental um, benefit and also had the simplicity of cremation. So that's really what led me to water cremation. And um, at the time that I discovered it, you know, I realized that here in Colorado had been legal since 2011, and yet there really wasn't anyone offering it. And um, so that was really when I saw that opening and, and a need to take action. And, and that's kind of what led me to be a tree. Amazing. Amazing. So, so is, is water cremation or aquamation as some people call it, is it legal in every state? Not yet. No. Oh, interesting. It, it so not, all... not legal everywhere and not available everywhere. And Correct. yet it's definitely something people are hearing about and talking about. Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, as we just become more mindful of death in general, and we're also becoming more mindful of our environmental impact as humans, um, I think that's just creating an environment where folks are more open and aware to wanting these different options. Um, and, you know, even just media around things like natural organic reduction or human composting is still starting that conversation about having environmentally aware methods available. Um, but it is, you know, currently legal in about 19 states and, you know, some others are considering it. Um, and even in some states where it's available, like kind of like I found here in Colorado, just because it's legal doesn't mean that there are providers actively offering it in, in different areas for people. Interesting. What, what, tell us more about what is it? How does it work? I mean, scientifically, what happens? Yeah, it is. It's very, it's very, um, sort of science, sciencey, if you look at it. Science um, fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does feel like that. Um, so instead of fire, we're going to use water to break down the body. Um, so water and about 5% alkali, um, which is something that's used to make soaps and in many of our household goods. Um, and when the water and alkali combine, it creates a chemical reaction that essentially mimics the natural decomposition process over a number of hours. So in our case, it takes about 18 hours at a, um, you know, a, a much lower temperature, but the temperature can range based on different systems. Ours is about 199 degrees. Others can get a little hotter and are faster. So kind um, of warm but, and, and some kind of, I'm, I'm picturing some kind of a vessel or tube or something. Exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a metal vessel. Um, it's kind of like a big metal womb or something where it's sealed and the water gently circulates throughout that whole time. Um, so at the end of the process, we have two components. We have uh, water that is a really nutrient rich liquid and there's it's completely sterile at that point there's no human dna in it anymore um, because of that chemical process it's really broken down to our most basic components um, that our body is are made of um, so that kind of goes off and and drains into a holding tank and then you have skeletal remains so most people that don't realize that even with a fire cremation, a vast majority of the ashes you're getting returned are bones. Um, so the, 
the ashes or the cremated remains that we're familiar with are still returned to the family with this process. We have you know, skeletal remains that in our case, we air dry them for one or two days, and then they get processed or, you know, essentially pulverized and placed into an urn. So you still have, have those that you can go scatter, or, you know, we have special urns that you can plant a memorial tree with, um, you can bury them in a cemetery, the, you're really not limited to what the, the final resting place for that component is. You essentially end up with the same type of, of, of like a, a pulverized, like you said, kind of like an ashy remains. Mm -hmm. I've heard that the aquamation is more of a whiter remains rather than so gray or black. Um, but that is an interesting component that you still have this ability to, as you said, have a mobile a, a mobile thing that you can take with you or place in different places, um, kind of a similar resting place of the cremation ashes. What do, what do people do with the liquid? How is that handled? Yeah, so in our case, um, we're a little unique in that we actually um, return it all to the earth. So we partner with a local farm, it's called Half Moon Farm in Lakewood. Colorado here and we are using it to grow mostly fresh cut flowers so they're nourishing their land with it on um, several non-edible uh, plants and then the families are always um, invited to take a, an amount with them as well that they can use in their own gardens or even on their house plants so we offer bottles of that for the family which you know, they get diluted before you some plants um, and they can use that as another way to memorialize their loved one. And a vast majority of the families we work with at least take one bottle of that, if not more. That is fascinating. So you end up with sort of um, the, the bone component and also this water component. What do, do people typically like, are you finding, do people plan ahead for this? Is this the request of the person who died? Or is this something families are just calling and saying, someone died, what do we do? What do you have to offer? Sure, yeah, I would um, say that obviously like so many other people in the, in the death care space, we're trying to change that narrative and allow people to have conversations and plan ahead. However, a vast majority of the families we work with are um, more when the need arises. So in, in a lot of cases, there's usually no documentation or money in place that had been pre-arranged for the service. And they're going based on either, you know, in, in a good scenario, they will have at least had a conversation with their loved one and know that this is what they wanted. Or in some cases, they're just having to know um, how they live their life and what their values were. And, um, you know, kind of make their best guess as to what their best option is for body care. Um, so yeah, vast majority of people don't plan and um, we just wanna change that narrative and, and allow people to have a way to plan. What, why do you think it makes a difference to plan? Yeah, in so many ways. I mean, um, on a higher level that I think a lot of people don't even think about is that kind of psychological burden. Um, we find that when people plan ahead and know what they want and know that it's documented somewhere, it's sort of this big weight off your shoulders. Like, 
like I didn't even know that I was carrying that weight and now I feel like it's gone and I can live my life more fully. So that's a huge, huge part. And then of course, on a more practical level, um, you want to make sure that the people who are going to be around to grieve your loss aren't always burdened with these decisions and having to guess what you would have wanted can be just such a huge gift to them not to have to to make all of those decisions in a time of emotional stress and allow them to really focus on remembering you taking care of themselves rather than having to figure out all these logistics around what to do from a practical standpoint. Right. That makes so much sense. How many people do you, how many people work at Beatrice? Yeah, we're, we're a growing team. You know, we're still quite a small company. Um, we have a team of five folks right now. So um, five people who are, are doing everything from pre-planning to arranging with families and all the way to caring for um, people's loved ones and running our, our water cremation process. Amazing. And you have just one machine right now. Yes, true. And there's a couple other places, I think, in the front range of Colorado doing this, but not a lot. Yeah, it's still not a widespread option. So we're so blessed to be able to work with these families. Yeah. Do you know, is it, is it becoming more widespread in other places? I mean, I know it was so amazing when Desmond Tutu chose this option Mm -hmm. that really put it on the radar in terms of media in some way. Is it common in South Africa or was that kind of a surprise choice for him? No, I mean, it's, it's not, um, for humans, it's not common really anywhere yet. Um, I would still say it's emerging. I, we don't even have really great data available on the number of people who are choosing it because in so in many states, like here in Colorado, it's still considered a type of cremation. Um, so it's just like, yeah, just burial or cremation. And we don't know what portion of that is in water. Oh, that's so interesting. So that'll be interesting when they start to collect more of that. What What is the history of it? I, I think I've read that it, it started with large animals, right? How to dispose of large farm animals. Yeah, it's actually so interesting. Most people are really shocked to learn that it was invented in 1888. Wow. So there's a name named Amos Herbert Hobson. He uh, created this process as a solution to um, taking care of the bodies of diseased cattle and livestock. Um, because, you know, you, you don't really want to burn uh, a bunch of, of carcasses on your property and who have these diseases. Whereas with this process, he found that they could um, safely get rid of the animal carcasses and take the resulting uh, like remains and put it back on their land in a nourishing way. And so it was really a a great solution for that. That's Um, so fascinating. And yet, and yet more than a hundred years later, and it's just starting to kind of be a process that humans can use. Exactly. Yeah. It took some time for, for us to evolve in that way. But, you know, even in the veterinary space, it's been really common. And I think a, a lot of people may not even know that their, their animal may have been um, cared for with water cremation. Um, and because, you know, since you still get the remains back in such a similar way, um, it's not always known that that's happening. Um, and it's been much more widely adopted in the animal space. 
And then slowly, you know, starting with medical institutions like the Mayo Clinic and UCLA and the University of Florida, they were able to introduce this as a way to take care of bodies after they were donated for um, science and for, for other donation purposes. And, it, you know, they found it to be so appealing because they could have it right down the hall um, instead of having to transport offsite because of the smoke with a traditional cremation. So it's very clinical, clean kind of process in that way. So interesting. What other, thank you. This is such good information. I think my listeners are going to be really interested. Um, How does it compare cost-wise to other, either to cremation or burial? Yeah, I think let's let's talk about cost wise and then talk about environmental wise because we haven't even touched on environmental impact sure. yet. Um, from a cost standpoint, um, we find that in death care, it's kind of like healthcare where there's just so much variation and yeah. and things can cost, but can give you some averages. Um, you know, a traditional burial in the US, um, the last kind of numbers that I've seen are between seven to $10,000 for a traditional burial, just because of the casket and, um, you know, often embalming and everything that goes into it. Um, and then a, a cremation really can range, you know, you can get what they call a direct cremation where you're really getting kind of the bare bone services, no pun intended. Um, it, you know, just paperwork and then kind of getting your loved one returned in a a plastic box on your doorstep Um, that can range in most states. You can get that for a thousand dollars or so. And then um, a full service cremation through a more traditional avenue, like a funeral home is really going to be somewhere between 3000 to $5,000. Again, just varying so much um, on location by location. So our process, um, our packages start at 2,450. And um, that includes our the transportation to us, um, the water cremation itself, and plus all the filing of the paperwork and a, a basic urn. So we try to really make that really transparent and all inclusive and um, comparable to what you could pay for a fire cremation because we just don't want cost to be a factor that would deter someone away from choosing this. So cool. What kind of people do you find choose this? Yeah, I get that, that question a lot. And, you know, going into this, I was thinking like, you know, there's not that much market research available. So, you know, just going on faith that, you know, that it's going to be in demand. Um, the, I was thinking maybe we would get more folks who were, you know, very like hippie, um, liberal types who really were mindful of the environment through their entire life. And of course we do get a lot of people like that. And though I've been surprised by the wide spectrum of folks, you know, we get people who are motivated by um, the environment, of course, but we also get people who are, you know, maybe had a phobia of fire or a phobia of burial and water just sounds like a much more gentle option for them. Um, We also just get people who were gardeners or nature lovers, and they feel more connected to this because of their love for one of those things. Um, So it, it encompasses a lot more than that. Um, And we get people from, you know, veterans to 
Um, unfortunately, you know, young folks who were more progressive and knew about this and wanted it. So it really does run the gamut and I can't like pigeonhole the type of person who chooses it. So great. Well, I, I'm just curious when I look out, I think, will this, you know, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, will this be kind of equal to cremation? I mean, who knows? It's, it's so interesting. And I'm so excited that Be a Tree has kind of you know, put a stake in the ground to, um, not to use a metaphor, to um, say that, you know, you want to build this in the front range of Colorado. I think it's so neat, Emily. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what the adoption is like. And, you know, I think a lot of it depends on, um, as a society and um, government, where we go to, because if, if there are more strict regulations put in place that prohibit, um, you know, emissions and, and impacts, then we may see the adoption grow more quickly um, because, you know, we have, we've talked about it being more environmentally friendly, but why does it need to be? And I think that's important to touch on is um, with traditional burial, we're, we're using a lot of wood. So it's contributing to deforestation in order to manufacture the number of caskets that are needed. Um, we're also burying a so much steel and concrete on an annual basis. You know, heard the statistic that we bury enough steel to build the Golden Gate Bridge every year underground. Um, and then we're also using cancerous embalming fluids in many cases. So people think that fire cremation is the more environmentally sound option. But if you look at that, it's also really resource intensive. Um, you know, we're burning fossil fuels and creating smoke emissions that are toxic as well. Um, it's a, every flame cremation is about the equivalent of driving 600 miles in a standard passenger vehicle. So that impact is not insignificant and um, water cremation can eliminate up to 90% of the carbon footprint and energy that goes into a fire cremation. Great, great statistics. I love it. So concrete. I, I think it's interesting too, how sometimes these bigger events impact um, society's kind of adoption of these new things. And I was speaking with an author whose name is Shannon Lee Dottie, and she wrote a book called American Afterlives. And one of the things she noted that is out there is that after 9-11, cremation increased. And I'm not sure they really know why. They just know that statistically after this big event in U.S. society, and it impacted the world too, that cremation in the U.S. rose, you know, mm -hmm. so I think, well, I wonder what other, you know, events might occur that kind of yeah. cause us to rethink our body disposition as a society, who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you tons for your time, Emily. I just think you're a wealth of information and it's so fun to see, you know, somebody um, embracing these kind of new paths in death care um, at a young age, you know, you're, you're, you're at the vanguard. Well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's really exciting. At the end of the day, we just kind of want to pass on that message that, um, you know, we're, we're part of nature too. And um, we want to give people a comfortable choice that feels in alignment with their values in a way that they can also live on through nature and um, feel, feel good about the way that their body is being treated at the end of their life. Well, thanks so much. You can find out more about Emily Nelson, founder and CEO at beatree.life, L-I-F-E. Thanks again, Emily. Thank you.
You've been listening to the Best Life, Best Death podcast with Diane Hullett and my guest, Emily Nelson. Thanks so much. And you can find out more about my work on my website, bestlifebestdeath.com. Thanks so much. Thank you.